The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Startup founders have a few very well-known ways to get funding, and most of them involve giving up equity in their companies. Sometimes this works out great for all involved, and companies would never have existed without the support of funders who believe in and enable the founder's vision. But sometimes growth companies might have great businesses that just don't fit traditional banking and finance structures, so founders are required to give over equity just to make it to fight another day. The higher the growth, the bigger this problem can be. So companies can get punished and founders lose heaps of equity just because they're doing well. One new idea is debt financing, where specialist operators are able to judge high-growth companies and fit them into debt models where they can get the funds and the backers get good interest and no equity is traded. One such group offering this innovative service to New Zealand and Australian high-growth companies is Tractor Ventures, and its COO and general partner are joining us today, both startup legends in their own right. COO Jody Imam has experience covering being a business leader growing a fashion company tenfold, as a startup founder who exited to Airtasker, and as a supporter and enabler of people in startups especially female founders. And general partner Lance Hodges has held leadership roles in product for Vend, been a startup founder and advisor and supporter to many companies in the local ecosystem. To talk why they wanted to be part of this new model, what it is and their journeys, Lance Hodges and Jodi Imam join us now. Tēnā thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you. First up, Jodi, um, on the Zoom from um, Melbourne, hey, let's jump into your experience what was it like working with, you've worked like in traditional kind of businesses like fashion design right through to startups. What did you learn in the traditional business of fashion design in its big growth journey? Yeah, I mean, I was, before the fashion journey, I was in corporate land and I wanted to pursue a passion. And I thought at that time that would be fashion as a 23-year-old girl. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a wild ride. Uh, when I joined, Leona Edmiston was starting her second label and it was very new. So there was two stores and about three staff. Um, and I quickly became the general manager there and, and ended up staying nine years, which was a lot longer than I had anticipated. And 
And that reason for that was that every year, because we were growing so quickly, every year my role was just completely different. So it was just exciting. It was every year just learning so much, so many different things. We took manufacturing offshore during that time. We grew to 25 stores. We had stores in um, Hong Kong, in London, in LA. Um, so there was foreign exchange. There was just so many different elements. We grew the team to over 50 staff. Um, uh, yeah, so it was just uh, uh, lots of learnings. I guess the two biggest learnings for me were how to manage a very difficult, tight cash flow. In fashion, it's just out of control. <laughs> you're spending all the money up front at least 12 months out before you're actually selling that unit that you've produced. Um, and then I guess the other one was, uh, you know, how to, how to maintain culture as you're growing the team from three to 50. Yeah. And like with fashion, you know, unlike the world of bits and startups and software products uh, that, that, that so often work in, you know, you've got kind of um, inventory that if it's popular in itself, well, that's it. There's no making more of that most of the time. And if it's not popular and you forecast a year out for what it's going to be and then something like, oh, I don't know, pandemic happens, you're completely <laughs> cooked. Yeah, it's so true. So true. Um, one of the things that I brought into the Leona business was a clearance, a network of clearance stores. And so that was an excellent way for us to be able to reposition those styles that didn't sell in the first instance. Um, and also bringing on our online store, like back in 2007, um, was fantastic. Like a, a much quicker way of, of being able to move product and, um, yeah, position it to different demographics and different markets. And then out of that, you went from, uh, you, you know, a, a quite big business then, especially in a really mature and hard-fought space like fashion, into the startup world. Tell me about your startup and the big name who got you in the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was so lucky at Leona and I ended up, you know, having ownership of the, of the online and the clearance business, but I still had this burning desire to have my own business. So I literally quit my job moved from Sydney, sold my house and wanted to start something and with really no idea of what that would be. I just knew I couldn't run the Leona business and come up with something on the side. Um, so it was really out of my own need at the time. My husband and I were renovating our home in Sydney and with a very little budget because we'd been, you know, we'd sort of bid over what we were going to at the auction. <laughs> so we had very little left to, to renovate. So we're really looking for tradies to do jobs, just small things. And of course, that's impossible. Um, so we, got, we, we, I guess, discovered um, TaskRabbit in the US and just immediately fell in love with this whole, they had just launched in the US and it was this whole sharing economy, collaborative consumption, just absolutely loved the model and couldn't see why anyone else wouldn't. Um, and so we went ahead and just started building out all the technology, spent about a year scoping, building, pouring money into it and then started to look for customers, which I would never recommend any founder start that way. <laughs> um, uh, and so, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a roller coaster ride, I'd say, my startup journey. Um, and, you know, about a year in, we realised this low margin business, which is hard to, to build a community from scratch, um, is going to take us a long time before we can actually pay ourselves. So we started a co-working space with the idea that that would pay the rent while we kept building the community, which fortunately it did. 
Um, and then three years in, we realised we're really going to run out of money. We need some. We need an injection of capital. So that's when we went to and appointed a board to help us um, sort of formulate the strategy and work out which direction to take and what capital to take. So we looked at all the options, and we knew Tim from from Airtasker from the very start. Um, and so we, as part of our looking at all of our options, we we called Tim, and it was just very good timing because he was about to raise his. I think it was about $20 million, one of the Series A raises, um, and it was from global investors as well. So he really wanted to be build the profile of Airtasker and also, you know, really exponentially build the, the size of the community. So it was really the community that we had built that was the, the valuable part of that acquisition for Airtasker. And for us, it's brilliant to see, to see that dream live on the way it is with Airtasker. Oh, wow. And for you, having been through... Uh, a couple of journeys there, really understanding the value of cash flow and yeah. also, you know, really deeply understanding what it's like to be growing a business and a founder with it all on the line. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we have such a, you know, and shows like this completely contribute to it, but we have such a survivorship bias and everything's great, but it's a really hard run, isn't it? Oh, bloody hell. It's really hard. I mean, that second year for us, they, you know, I don't know if you've talked about this term, Death Valley, but, oh, my God, it felt like that. You know, I got to this point of such anxiety that it was, I was almost paralysed. I'd turn up and sit in front of my computer, but I couldn't do anything. Like, it was just things that were not going to plan. Like we had got this beautiful spreadsheet, we're going to do this many transactions month on month on month and it just didn't work that way. Um, so, yeah, it was. it's definitely a roller coaster ride and the mental component of it, the mental strength is, you know, one of the biggest factors. So, Absolutely. And we'll come back and talk about the support that you've been providing to a bunch of founders in other career spots in a second. I'll just bring Lance in about the startup journey as well, because you've had a you know huge experience with um, Vend, which is where I got to know you, uh, working um, and, 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 and leading up product there, and then into being an advisor and supporter to a bunch of small um, smaller startups uh, in the in the system. Yeah, t- tell me about like your journey into Vend. Yeah, I think like a lot of my uh, <clears throat> a lot of my stories, they're always weird timing, uh, you know, setups. Uh, I ran into Vaughn, who's the founder of uh, Vend. Um, had a coffee with him just randomly. I think we uh, hung out at Food Camp or something like that a long time back. Um, and you know, I was perfectly happy. Had a business uh, doing e-commerce websites and mobile apps and all that kind of stuff, um, as was uh, popular at the time. Uh, and I think just timing worked. You know, like he was looking to grow uh, Vend. It was. Seven or eight people, I think, at that point, uh, and it was the early days of um, of software. Really, when you know we had zero in New Zealand that was doing um, something in the SaaS space, they were really it. Um, and I was quite interested in that, um, purely from a how do we go uh, global from New Zealand. Um, and so I think, yeah, from a timing point of view, you know, what Vaughn needed was. Um, you know, someone to help out on the product side, but also, you know, a very small company at that point and there was no role for a specialist. So, you know, everyone had to do a little bit uh, more than what their job really entailed. And for me, that was probably quite important because uh, as I've learned over, you know, the last, you know, decade plus working um, in, in tech as I don't like doing one thing all the time. Um, I don't think a lot of people do. Um, and so it was great. You know, I started, there was 12 of us. We are in a, a corner of someone else's office uh, in Parnell. Uh, and, you know, over that three, 
you know, you know the story about over the, the three and a half years it kind of went from, uh, you know, one office, one time zone to uh, eight time zones and 300 people or so. Um, and, I, you know, I think the, the thing that people talk about a lot is that, you know, one year in a startup feels like, you know, 10 years or whatever in another company. And it's very true, you know, three and a half years went, you know, ridiculously fast um and uh you know much like jody uh you know quite the roller coaster as well uh as as we we've all felt um and that's obviously gone on to be quite a different business at the same time um but the thing i've i think i've really uh cemented uh, over the last few years is that i love that zero to one you know i love the stage of, of figuring things out when there's when there's uh you know the processes are missing or uh you just have to get on with it um i think is is uh is the really fun part i think once it gets to to bau it becomes a little bit too uh bit too boring for me yeah that that's such an interesting like um what what you're saying there about the space being open and zero being uh such an influence as well mm. like there was this moment where the whole Cloud, yeah, the you know the whole business was going to move to the cloud, yep. and it was like, well, this is obvious. Let's yeah. jump onto something that's going to <laughs> yeah. own some of the cloud and be exciting and, yeah. and help, help all of these businesses run better businesses. And yeah, I think it's a hard thing for people to you know, if, especially if you're younger, to actually uh, not know that it was a weird time. It was also a time where people thought that um, uh, you know banking online was still a little risky. Um, so I think that's quite a, you know, to shape what the, you know, what the startup space was like in New Zealand. And we were a little bit further behind, you know, we're obviously a bit further behind than Australia was. They've had a few more cycles that they've gone through and obviously a lot further behind than uh, the US. Um, but the thing I think I really liked at the time was we had, uh, you know, a company like Zero that was doing, you know, was a few years ahead of where Vend was. Um, and that was really interesting. And I think what's gone on to happen is, you know, there's been a whole lot of new startups that have come through. New Zealand obviously has quite a thriving um, startup industry right now. Um, and what we're starting to see finally is a few people that have gone through the loop a few times, which I think is really important. So they've, you know, they've got the lessons or they've felt the pain, probably more importantly sometimes. Uh, and, and they've built those skills up so that, you know, we can build these businesses, uh, you know, at home with people that have done it before. Um, as opposed to just, you know, constantly looking for uh, people from outside of New Zealand or uh, having to grow all the talent, um, which is pretty pretty tough. Yeah, and it's a hard thing to be building out a new product in a new industry with new technology and new tools, but also have to build out all of the kind of infrastructure that allows business to run, yep. you know. And so, you, you know, it's really interesting um, with the Tractor Ventures journey, you, you know, that there are these new products popping up that solve problems for these new classes of business that just didn't fit into traditional uh, traditional finance and the like. Um, mm. but, but before we jump into Tractor, maybe, you know, t- tell me a little bit about Aftervend and what, you know, some of the companies and some of the stuff that you've been doing to help people going from zero mm. to one and um, to, to get things going. Yeah. Well, I think the first start, you know, uh, my partner, Kirsty, she's also the other the other second half of uh, Tractor New Zealand as well. Uh, we started our own um, company called Populate. Um, and so we went on that real journey as well, you know, going from an idea or a problem in the um, financial and head, uh, headcount planning space to uh, probably the opposite to Jody, a little bit rapid prototype, literally pitching companies with um, scribbles on some paper. And, um, you know, we ended up at, uh, at Pinterest HQ in San Francisco 
demoing a um, a clickable prototype and selling that into them at that point. All smoke and mirrors, so we probably took the um, the lightest route. Uh, you know, that went through some evolutions, and ultimately we ended up, you know, selling software into the enterprise market, something that neither of us were really interested in or loved. Um, but it's also very tough. It's a tough space to be in. You go from building a, um, you know, if you're building a product for small, uh, medium-sized businesses or consumers, there's a lot of stuff you don't have to worry about, um, you know, uh especially things around support, you can just wing it and do it yourself. Uh, all of a sudden, when you show up to a really large enterprise uh, as a, to sell some software, they want to know about your team and your financials. And, uh, you know, when we're looking around our lounge going, this is our team and our financials are pretty slim. Yeah. Uh, they, they hire six people whose job it is just to point out the holes in the security of your software. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a massive part of it. Um, <laughs> I, and I think actually a lesson learned from Vend as well was, um, you know, if, if, you're, um, if you're doing a project with someone, and the project team is larger than your company. It's it's probably not a um, it's probably not a good project to proceed with. Um, and and the main reason for that is a bit of a segue. But the main reason for that is you know if you've got someone on a project team and and they show up, it's just their job to do that project. Uh, they can cancel that project in a heartbeat and walk away and start something else. Whereas for your for yourself, uh, this is your you know it's your company, it's your business, it's the only thing you do. It's kind of hard to reset. Um, so we did populate for a while. That went really well. Um, uh, from a um, from a rapid iteration point of view, we went from essentially nothing to paying customers in three months, um, and then we just went through the cycle of iterating and um, trying to figure out where we really fit in the world. Um, uh, the market was definitely there, but we just didn't hit it with the product, and we'd kind of got to the point where we had tapped out all of our resources, all of our time, and just really looking: do we have a do we have another two years to put into this? Um, at the same time, Kirsty and I were both. Um, contracting and just freelancing with other startups which is you know one how we keep the money coming in but also two just to keep us connected to the um, startup community in New Zealand um, uh, companies like uh, Melodics and uh, Weirdly we both worked at um, you know I did a product role at both of those companies and it was kind of a bit of a hybrid you know they were you know in that same kind of space that Vend was when I started you know the six to twelve people trying to figure a few things out uh, and needed a bit of a generalist. So it's, you know, leaning on me from a product point of view, but also, you know, what are some other things that I've seen? Um, you know, what are the mistakes that we can avoid? Um, and I think uh, even with Tractor, it's very similar. There's a lot of those lessons of just um, lessons that have been learned, either, you know, painful ones or not so painful, but that we can actually just say, hey, like, we've seen this before. We've seen it play out three or four times. You know, just don't do that. It's easier just not to do that. Um and so, yeah, I think that's been uh, yeah, it's been quite interesting. But I mean, re- recently, um, uh, getting more involved in the investment side. So rather than just hand wavy and here's my opinion, um, I think really, um, you know, getting some skin in the game and actually, um, you know, putting some uh, money into some small startups, um, uh, either through um, we did Startmate, which was really interesting, um, a bit of a uh, a bit of a crash course, I think, in um, in starting in the investment side. Um, and then, you know, personally just investing into a couple of companies in uh, uh, NZ, Australia, and now the US. Yeah, awesome. And, like, that's something that you and Kirsty have done a lot of, uh, her helping a lot of small businesses in terms of, um, you, you know, people and scaling yep. and processes uh, and net, net, networks and, mm. um, you, you know, kind of knowing everyone in town. And you're on the same side with product yep. and with um, processes and knowing everyone in town there. And it's kind of cool to then be able to formalise that in a way to help people through um, something like Tractor. And with you, Jody, tell me a little bit about what you were doing in terms of running the female founder-focused program in 
Australia. Yeah, so I led the team there for two years at SBE Australia, which was originally Springboard in the US. Well, it's a it's a subsidiary, I suppose, or it's a, it's a standalone, but it's running the Springboard program that's been running in the US for twenty years, and SBE Australia has been running for about eight years. Um, and so for two of those years, I led the team. We ran seven programs in those years. Um, so the the sort of famous springboard program uh, which is for later stage female-led businesses and then some new uh, uh, earlier stage programs so we had about 60 women uh, go through the programs in my time there uh, which is very exciting to be able to help uh, female founders and and be able to get them investor ready um, is the biggest thing and and get that network around them so that they have that support to to go and raise capital for their business. Yeah, awesome. And we'll be back in a minute to hear more about how the team at Tractor Ventures are innovating capital for business shortly. Kia ora, Justin Giovanetti here, and I'm the political editor at The Spinoff. This podcast, like so much of the work we do at The Spinoff, is made possible by the support of our members. To find out more about The Spinoff members and how you can help us keep producing quality, independent journalism, visit members.thespinoff.co.nz and do it today. Hey, so let, yeah, let's pick up a bit on on kind of ways of raising capital. So you've both got these like great networks of startups that you work with and know a lot about a bunch of the problems that they face in terms of capital and everything else. What was it about Tractor Ventures that made you interested to get involved uh, and, and that made you think that would be a help to these customers? Um, so yeah, I've known Matt Allen for about six years during, you know, across all of the ecosystem work we've been doing over those years. And we're both advisors for, for the same, some of the, some startups are the same. So we've worked closely together. And when Matt mentioned to me a while ago, this concept, I just immediately fell in love with it. I think it's so great, um, as a bootstrap founder myself to have an option for founders uh, to be able to grow their business without selling their equity, especially at low valuations, which you get at the start. Yeah. What was the kind of breakthrough moment that started the company or how was Matt in a position to do it? Yeah, so Matt and April um, have been active angel investors themselves for a number of years and they've had a, some success and some exits out of that. So that gave them, I guess, the, the cash to really be able to take some time out, have a think about it, test the idea, um, talk to a few companies and, and basically get uh, some commitments from investors that they would they would back it and get some commitment from some founders that they would absolutely love this product. And how does it work for investors as it's not your typical kind of venture capital space, high growth space investment, is it? Is there's not going to be a 10x coming back on the money you put in. Uh, what's it set up like instead? Well, you never know. <laughs> um, I think the investors really love Tractor and think it will be successful. I mean, it can be very, will be a very profitable business in itself. And so there'll be dividends and there'll be potentially an exit opportunity. Um, but also they really love the access to the founders that we're backing. I mean, the fact that they've been through our whole uh, investment process and that they're supported by our whole team makes it much easier and more compelling for our investors if the founder wanted to down the track, take some uh, equity capital. Right. So people who invest in Tractor aren't kind of placing money that then gets lent out. They're actually buying into the Tractor Ventures 
idea that could itself become the global leader in uh, alternative debt or something like that in the space? Well, it's actually both. So they are investing for equity and they're also loaning us some debt that we're then lending on. And then that becomes a more reliable kind of there's interest and we judge these businesses based on whether we think that they are going to pull through. And and why is that needed that you're in a position to do that? Like what happens if a you know, startup who um, are going through a very high growth journey goes to a bank? <laughs> Uh, I, I laugh because I'm, I was just thinking, has anyone actually spoken to a bank recently? Um, I, I think that the really interesting part about uh, borrowing money in general is uh, if you're in a startup or any kind of, uh, I guess, unusual, not normal business, if you don't have a construction company or something like that, uh, the first thing they'll ask you is your, for your projections or some other kind of lie that you want to tell the bank. Um, and and they just don't know how to deal with businesses like this. Um, you know, they, they definitely don't know how to deal with a traditional startup at all. Um, and quite often the reality is there are lots of unknown uh, questions and a lot of unknown answers at that point. Um, so what the bank or a traditional lender needs from a um, from a um, loan processing point of view just doesn't um, correlate with how a startup is doing business most of the time. Uh, that's not true for all, obviously. There's exceptions to that. Um, but they're just not designed uh, to, do, to do that kind of lending. And so what can Tractor do that's different? <laughs> uh, there's, there's a couple of different things. Um, the, the first thing is, you know, given all of our backgrounds, you know, we've got a team of six or seven-ish, um, depending on the day of the week, uh, and, and a wider, obviously wider expert and investor network that um, that's part of Tractor. Um, I think we're, we're all operators. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone that's actually not an operator or a previous operator. Um, um, that's true for the investors as well. Quite a lot of them are still running um, companies. Uh, so we can really, you know, stand in the shoes of these startups and understand what they're going through and have been through the same stages. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of understanding at that point of, of how they're thinking about business. Um, and we can also look at it from the point of view of um, uh, the way our company is structured is quite different to a traditional investor. So or fund. Uh, if you think about kind of what you were saying before around, you know, you might not get the 10x return. Well, if you think about a traditional fund, you know, they're raising money from uh, LPs, their investors, and those investors want to return. And so um, when they're investing into a company, they really need or demand uh, quite, a re- uh, quite a large return for everyone to make money. Whereas what we're actually looking at is, um, can this company repay the loan to Tractor? That's the first thing. Are they a real business? Uh, you know, are they, are they generating profit? Yeah. And th- that's interesting. Is the the way that traditional VC is requiring those big returns creates this all or nothing culture where companies that aren't going to repay at such a big rate are kind of encouraged to kind of stop earlier. Mm. And they aren't if you've got a fund that's got a, a set time horizon and big expectations. Uh, yeah, you can get into a stage where perfectly good businesses end up being shut down just because they won't give the kind of growth that makes it worthwhile for that capital. And you know, all kinds of potential and opportunity must be being lost in the system. Yeah, and, and we're, you know, it's only early for us, and we're definitely seeing that as a um, as a trend that's coming through. Uh, there are a lot of businesses that just don't suit traditional venture capital um, at all, and that might be because they don't have the you know crazy growth uh, up into the right chart that everyone needs. Um, but also it could be because they just don't know that other options exist. Um, it's quite interesting how many businesses have no idea one that you can even raise money from someone else, uh, or two that there's options out there other than you know what you're talking about before with um, bank loans or any 
kind of traditional uh, lending. And and how and so the, yeah, and the innovation is to bring it to people who haven't had it before. And how's it going, Jody? How's the business going and growing? Yeah, it's going so well. Um, actually, we're um, we just reported today in the Australian Fin Review that we're we've brought in some new investors for our second capital raise of ten million dollars, which we're just closing out. Um, and that's, you know, in month seven, which is a lot earlier than we expected. So we thought originally that we would deploy about two and a half million dollars in capital over the first sort of 12 to 18 months to 10 companies. Um, we've already brought in 13 companies, um, actually 14 uh, this week. And uh, yeah, it's just growing a lot faster than we thought, which is fantastic. What kind of companies are you working with? Well, yeah, we've got such a broad mix from from energy billing platforms through to Martialytics, um, which is a martial arts studio management software, through to e-commerce, accounting. It's such a broad mix. And it's really any company that is a technology company or technology enabled. And what do they have to be seeing in terms of like growth and revenue, I guess, in order to – because there'll still be a set of – I imagine your own set of standards that you're looking for <laughs> before advancing money as you are operating in a kind of loan bank space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, because the way it works is that we lend three times the monthly revenue of the company. And so we sort of set a, a minimum of $50,000 per month uh, because anything less than that, like if you were doing 10K a month, when we lend you 30K, it doesn't really help. So 50 gives you 150, which then starts to become a meaningful amount of money for you to be able to build some more tech or bring in some people. Um, so a minimum of 50 with some steady growth is fine. It can even be bumpy. Um, at the whole, the value of our model is that it's super flexible. And so you're paying back at 5% of whatever that monthly revenue is. And so if you have a big month, it's bigger. If you have a low month, you don't have this heavy loan repayment. So um, it's super flexible. And it kind of feels like, you know, with a whole bunch of people who in the investors around the business and in the team working in the business all have this experience of working with startups, um, how much of what you're doing is to provide like a helpful service, like an almost altruistic thing to add to the the mix here? Um, and how much of it is to um, make a big business? As I imagine, there's probably easier ways, you know, you, you could be going, we want debt and equity, or, you know, there could be things you could be doing to maybe increase your long-term upside that weren't so founder-friendly. Well, we do earn between 1% and 2% um, in warrants, which are vested and um, which we agree on a strike price for. So we, there is a little bit of an upshot for us, and that and that is there so that we can really lean in, use all of our experience, all of our networks, and, and, and you know, there is that, that long tail kind of upshot there. Ah, awesome, awesome. And so, yeah, what will success be, I think, for both, you know, both of you personally and what will success be for Attractive Ventures? I think, yeah, personally, I think I've always designed, um, I should say design, designed my life and the way I work around a bit of flexibility and freedom. And um, I think if, the, again, the last 18 months has taught us anything is that a lot can change very quickly. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's uh, how do I work with some really great businesses and still add some value and and kind of how we were talking about earlier is um, still 
uh, continuing to learn. Um, I feel like there's, um, you know, everything's changing quite quickly. So um, in terms of tech and uh, product development startups and all the services. So for me, it's really about how do I spend more time with these businesses that are, um, you know, new or up and coming um, that helps me learn, um, but also, you know, stay free enough that uh, I can pick and choose who I work with. Um, I think it becomes... Um, you know, quite hard uh, doing one thing all the time. Uh, and definitely in this space, you know, like just like uh, Jody was saying with our portfolio base, uh, we're surrounded by a whole lot of different businesses and different verticals. And obviously um, between Australia and New Zealand, that gives, um, yeah, something quite interesting about um, about what's happening day to day. Um, and I think it's it still makes it feel very uh, zero to one, which is, I think, the, the nice place to be. It's super exciting in yeah. that beginning space. Hey, and how about, how about you, Jody? Yeah, I mean, success for me is really helping helping founders achieve, you know, really truly great outcomes for them. I mean, if it hasn't already come across yet, you know, we're very founder first uh, in our in everything we do at Tractor, and like I can see us helping founders get, for example, like a fifty million dollar exit, which a VC would say no to because it's not big enough. You've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. But for a founder that owns their whole company or most of it, fifty million dollars might be a great outcome. It's, it and, sounds and pretty good. Yeah, I'd be happy. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's what excites me, us being able to really help um, our founders through the whole evolution of their company and whether that is to, to sell it one day or just keep growing it at a pace that, that they can have, you know, the flexibility and, and the life that they want to have while they're doing it. Yeah, well, I think it's so cool that um, A is a sign of maturity in the scene, that these new kind of instruments are coming in, and also that there's just more options than the all or nothing approach to VC, which, you know, we know means that only people who come from well-off backgrounds or people who can afford to lose it all or, you you know, it it really cuts down diversity and access to VC. So everything that changes um, changes the dynamics has got to be a plus, hey? Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. That's um, Jody Imam, the COO of Tractor Ventures and Lance Hodges, general partner in New Zealand. Kia Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much to Te Aihe Butler for producing and thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound, brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.